Welcome to Market Proof Marketing. This episode's intro will be a little bit different, not just because it's only Kevin. Uh, Andrew is traveling to the most wonderful place on earth, Disney World, this weekend with his family. But also, um, just because I don't have the energy to do it much differently than than what's going to happen, and I don't really know what's going to happen. So why the low energy? I think partly because... The Builder Show just sucks it out of me. I literally, um, a- after I left the show, other than uh, a few moments on on social media, I didn't touch my phone at all, didn't check any emails. Uh, I think I slept in until uh, close to 11 a.m., which with four kids, young kids, that, that just doesn't happen. Uh, just mentally and physically, I have to recover after that show. There's, it's fantastic. You certainly should go to it. That's not trying to make it sound negative in that sense, but wow, uh, just so many good conversations with so many people. And for me, the adrenaline kicks in. Uh, I love helping, uh, trying to help all the folks that I can as quickly as I can at the show. Um, probably just don't take care of myself well enough, and so I just have to completely recover. That that mostly happened before this week started. Um, and then, you know, we had, uh, the death of Kobe Bryant, which was tragic and, and surprising. Um, and I think there's, it's not surprising that, that the response was what it was to his death, um, because of the, the surprising nature of it and, and what he did. And then literally just mm, 10 minutes before I was, uh, hopping on to record this, I, uh, got the news that someone, I've gotten to know very well over the last uh, year or so, had someone very close to them pass away. And so it, it's hard to uh, to grab a headline on marketing news and feel like that's incredibly important. Um, we do have a great guest on today's show, John DeJulius. Uh, I feel a little bit bad that I'm... I'm putting this energy in because when, when we get to his interview, you're going to, you're going to love it. He's one of um, the people that I've followed the longest in my career, not from the home building space, but uh, he has an amazing customer service and customer experience company that he started. He's also written multiple books. Uh, One of the few authors that I've waited in line to uh, have sign a, a copy of one of those books, secret service. He's the gentleman who really put a process and a system around the idea of surprising and delighting consumers. You hear that phrase a lot today, but um, he's worked with some of the biggest brands. So I'm, I'm super excited that you guys are going to get to hear that. And I hope you'll have a lot of great takeaways. But before we get to that, um, instead of news or anything else, I thought I would just kind of go back over some notes. Uh, this is this is from a talk that I gave at uh, 40 Under 40 this past year. Um, I gave a, a very abbreviated version at the end of, of the online sales and marketing summit, uh, this past year as well, but it just seems timely and it's what I'm certainly more passionate about talking about and sharing right now. So this idea of early in your career, you certainly need to invest the time, energy, um, be, be emotionally all in to doing the best work you can growing the most possible that certainly oftentimes I believe it's unavoidable is going to require some, some late nights and some, some long work weeks that extend into the weekend or through the weekend, been there, done that. Uh, you've got to, 
uh, get to a certain level personally where you're able to take care of, of yourself, not just yourself, but those around you and uh, protect their future, uh, put things in place to, to make sure that, that those around you are, are taken care of. So early in your career, you're going you're gonna to put in all that effort and that work. And it is so easy to let that momentum kind of propel you wherever it propels you. It's, it's easy to have a, a goal and an idea of what you'd like to do and, and to be working towards that. And then as you progress in your career, if you're good at that, what you'll find is that it just keeps going in a direction well past where you thought it would go. And sometimes you wake up and you're not even sure how you got where you are. By all measures, you are successful. But internally, it's, it's somewhere along the line you stopped. You forgot to stop. You forgot to keep checking in with yourself and saying, is this still the main goal that I have for myself? How, how if I was going to uh, start again, is this where I'd want to end up? And for a lot of people, they end up in, in middle management, upper management, sometimes in ownership, uh, leadership positions, and it's not where they really wanted to go. But there's this feeling of obligation of you've put in the time and the effort there and, um, and I just want to encourage everyone, if you're listening to this and, and you are not enjoying what you're doing, and yet you would be considered a success at it, um, just realize that there's more responsibility than you know, where, especially if you've reached kind of this halfway point in your career and had tremendous success. You need to be looking for those around you that you can pull up and carry with you. You need to be investing in other people and uh, and making sure that the next generation, the, those below you are, are learning and, and growing because ultimately that's going to be a much bigger part of how you're going to define success as you get to the second half and beyond in your career. It's going to be about the people that you've developed along the way. There's always going to be another community to open. It's a pre-sale without fail. There's always going to be a struggling house. Um, those things are always going to be there. It's, it's never ending. And so if that is the main goal to simply be good at, at tasks versus be good at developing people, I think you're going to miss out on a lot of what is truly more rewarding. Uh, I can tell you as someone who's, who's in that midpoint uh, in their career after 16 years, holy cow, I said this to my wife, uh, 16 years of doing this, that you know, I'm way more proud of the people that I've helped to develop in some way or another than in the number of sales or revenue created, um, in, in companies, uh, you know, someone the other day, 33% increase in walking traffic year over year, same community count. Isn't that awesome? Yep, it is. And it's not a person. And so it's, it's infinitely less important. Um, guys, we got to think bigger and, and my challenge, if you've, uh, been impacted by Kobe's death or, um, just by, kind of fig, trying to figure out what's, what's really important. What's really important is for you to find the skill set that you have in a way to invest it outside. You know, nonprofits are in desperate need of folks with your talent, my talent, uh, a lot of people's talents, and we've got to find a way to uh, get off what I call the, the, the hamster wheel uh, of death, right? There's it's, rat race is one thing. You can picture rats running through a maze. Eventually they get to the cheese or they, you know, they're, they're moving to me that the, the wheel is a much better illustration because you're literally progressing nowhere. You're expending energy. You might look and feel fit. Um, but, but you're not, you're not progressing. You're not, you're not improving 
the world around you necessarily. And so uh, just find ways to get off that wheel before you become addicted to some of the things that can come from that. You can get really rich on the wheel. You can get really famous on the wheel. And again, uh, in moments like this, I just am continually reminded about how completely unimportant that is. You know, you can get recharged always by doing your best work. And your best work is not just going to be in the traditional office work environment. It's going to be investing in people and investing in nonprofits, organizations, and, and movements beyond uh, just yourself. <laughs> Sorry, um, guys, to, to, to be a downer. I promise for those of you who have stuck through this intro, uh, next week we'll be back. And uh, high, high energy, having fun, telling stories. We'll be right back after this quick break with John DeJulius, president of the DeJulius Group. You're going to have a ton of great takeaways. Enjoy. And we're back with John DeJulius, the Chief Revolution Officer and President of the DeJulius Group. And my favorite, we're not big on, on bios and introductions necessarily on this podcast, but my favorite thing is that he didn't read the books on customer service and become a thought leader and an influencer. He actually wrote them, uh, five of them. And I've written one book. It almost uh, killed me. I, I say somewhat jokingly, I, I, I have no idea how you, how you pulled up five, but thanks so much, John, for joining us on today's program. My pleasure. It's an honor to be on. And because I'm not good at hyping people, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to hype yourself, but introduce folks to who you are. We tend to have a lot of people from inside the industry, but this year we're trying to get a focus on pulling some experts from outside of the industry and in the areas that, that home builders are really challenged with right now. So tell everyone a little bit about how, how you got involved in customer service, because that's, I think, interesting, and then kind of how it's ballooned into this uh, customer service training and consulting empire that you've that you've built yeah uh you know for the past 30 years i've built three um successful businesses all around being obsessed with the customer experience and so you know my first business is is a chain of uh high-end salons and spas and thought that was going to be it and, and in the early 90s we were growing quite rapidly and people started to take notice in our industry and, and in all industries you know one of the reasons why we were growing was because uh, the fanatical customer service so people just started asking me to speak and you know what i thought was flattery and i'd start speaking uh here and there tended to lead to you know more and more speeches and inquisitions and then uh, by 2002, I wrote my first book on customer service, and it became a, a bestseller. And basically, since then, I've been out of the salon industry, still own the salons, but not active. And so the DeJulius Group is a customer service consulting firm that works with you know some of the best brands in the world. You know, our, our mission is to change the world by creating a customer service revolution. And you're absolutely doing it. I mean, the fact the, the way the the Julius Group has grown since I first became aware of you probably back in 2009 is a testament to that because I'm sure all of it or almost all of it is driven entirely from referrals from people saying 
this absolutely works. Yeah, yeah, we know, you know, and and, and we looked at that as, as studying the uh, the grades. Um, the best companies at customer service advertise the least. That's our methodology. If you take really, really good care of your existing customers, uh, they produce more uh, new customers and repeat business than any uh, advertising budget you could spe- throw at it. And I think one of the things that's very interesting about your books and how you've approached this is that it can be process driven. It's not all art and no science. And it's also certainly not all science and no art, but you've, you've codified this in a way that is digestible. It's not easy. Um, we'll, we'll dive into your, your customer service commandments here of which there are 10. And I I think I've heard you say before, most companies only get to like step two and then they kind of give up. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know if they get that that far, but, uh, (laughs) Um, I think they, they may scratch the surface on all of them, but from working with and studying world-class customer service companies for the last 20, 20 plus years, we have found, we didn't make it up. Um, we had, we had found that there is a, a, uh, methodology that they all use. And mm. that is what my second book, what's the secret was, was based on what's the secret to building a world-class customer experience. And, uh, there's 10, there's 10 commandments. Um, seven years ago, there weren't eight and next year there won't be 11. Um, the, the 10 are the 10. And just as important as the 10 is is the order of the 10. You know, they're very sequential and, and build upon each other. And, you know, they never go away. It, it doesn't, there's no, someone, the vice president of Starbucks once told me, or I heard him say it, um, there's no ribbon cutting ceremony to be in world class. Uh, you don't arrive. You know, it's like, you know, did you work out today? Yeah, I, I was on the treadmill for 20 minutes. Well, you're not then done for, you know, uh, a week, a month or a year. Uh, you got to, you know, stay on it and get back on it. And it, it's a constant grind to, to it, it's an obsession. As a marketer, I love the fact that you're saying there's not going to be a new, you know, 899 course on the 11th commandment that I'm going to get. I'm not going to get that email from you next week. I mean, I just think that's sticking to those basics that, that are difficult. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, I mean, things have changed dramatically in the past 10 years, social media, digital, mm-hmm. but they slide into a commandment, you know, and, and so, yeah. And it applies to, I'm looking at the list of companies you work with and the variety of them, you know, from Ritz-Carlton to Chick-fil-A completely different price ranges, but these 10 commandments still apply to, you know, just people and, and transactions. Yeah. And that and that's one of the things I, I love, Kevin, earlier when we were talking uh, before we, we went live, you saw me speak and I used a salon example mm-hmm. of the white cape. And yeah, tell, um, tell people that what that is, re- that, that even alone. Yeah. So, so in my salons, you'll come in and, and you'll see a bunch of people getting a haircut and you'll see, you know, eight or eight to 10, maybe in a black John Roberts haircutting cape and one or two in a white John Roberts haircutting cape. So to the public, to the guests, that means we have black and white capes. To our team members, anyone in white has never been there before. So it doesn't mean we treat white capes better than black capes. It means we treat them differently. So, you know, if I'm walking through the salon or anyone's walking through the salon and we see a black cape, welcome back. Great to see you again. White cape, you know, there's more education, more, you know, welcome to your first time, more handholding, more telling you where the restrooms are, the coffee, and what we're going to do, the processes. So it's a great, it's a great secret service system. We've implemented it in every industry, but I really can tell, you know, who gets it 
because, you know, like you, you implemented it in the building, mm-hmm. you know, industry, which I mean, it's so easy, but there's so many, my, my biggest frustration, I guess, as a customer, as a consultant is when you hear, you know, that's all well and good, but we're not in the beauty industry, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's like, it's so frustrating because if you don't, to so many people, if you don't give them examples in their industry, they don't get it. And, and I'm the opposite to a fault. If you tell me an idea in an industry I'm in, I dismiss it. I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. we've done that. I'm more skeptical. But if you tell me the sure. sa- right, if you tell me the same idea, you know, that the dentist is doing or, you know, builders are doing, I immediately want to think and, and apply that <laughs> to my business. Like I, it has to be out my industry for me to be excited about it because it's new and not everyone's doing it. Exactly. And Andrew, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I pushed for, but never was able to successfully get my home building team, I was like, we should have a black folder. So all the paperwork when someone still, there are paper folders. And I was like, if someone has built before and had a previous experience, there just needs to be, it needs to be black or like have an explosion color of just look folks, this one can't go wrong. To to your point, John, of take the extra time over communicate. Uh, We keep hinting at it. We'll eventually get there. I promise. But the other thing I take from you and and say to our team all the time is the non-negotiable experiential standards of we never do less than this. We can always select to go above and beyond, but we never go below this threshold of customer service ever. So there's just so many, so many things. I have a feeling we may ask you back um, to, to keep going on this trail. But John, what do you think? Would you say, not necessarily just in home building, of all the different companies you've worked with, what's the most misunderstood part about what customers experience is? Well, you know, a customer uh, a service, customer experience, it's not innate. It's not common sense. <laughs> um, and so it's dismissed, but you have to think about it. The vast majority of our customer facing employees in, in all industries, and I don't like to call them frontline, because if you really think about it, Accountants are frontline, right? Yeah. And, and I don't think they'd want to be called frontline. <laughs> Consultants are frontline, mm-hmm. and I don't think they'd want to be called, you know. But it's anyone, you know, interacting with the customer. So, so customer facing employees, you know, a lot of times we just expect them to have the service aptitude that they need. And listen, they, they've never most frontline, if you want to call them that, customer facing employees never stayed at a Ritz Carlton, um, never flown first class, didn't drive a Mercedes Benz when they turned sixteen, <laughs> haven't you know uh, gotten a hundred dollar haircut. Yet the moment we hire them, um, the moment we got our first jobs and any job after that, we were expected to give world-class customer service. And, you know, we don't know what world-class customer service is when we graduate from whatever school and we start working. So it's like asking someone to perform surgery or build a house or read blueprints that have never had that experience. And so we have to dictate what, what service aptitude is in our training and in our hiring. And that's where, you know, the best companies really differentiate themselves so I, I love to ask this. I say, you know, all right, if you're going to hire me or you're going to hire my son, who's a recent college graduate, if you're going to hire him to, to work in any customer facing position that you have in your company, how much training are you going to give him before, you know, you allow him to start interacting with your, your customer base? And so, you know, some people say two days, two weeks, two months. Great. That's not the number I'm looking for. That's not the answer I'm looking for. The answer I'm looking for is of those 48 hours, 400 hours, 4,000 hours, how much of it is going to be product knowledge, operational processes, 
uh, versus soft skill, building relationships, showing compassion and empathy, uh, the non-negotiable standards, and, and making a brilliant comeback. And in most 98% of the training is operational processes and certifying people at that, you know, how to prepare the steak, how to, you know, read the blueprints, frequently asked questions, whatever that may be. And the the less than 2% is, you know, hey, Andrew, uh, see that sign in the back where it says we're customer centric or going above and beyond. Yeah, do that. Do that, but not enough. Right. Or I'm going to call you back and you're going to be in trouble for going too far. Right. Yeah. And if you tell 100 people, you know, to go above and beyond, or deliver genuine hospitality, whatever you want to label it, you're going to get a hundred variations. So great companies remove the personal interpretation. So in my world, you know, when we say deliver genuine hospitality, I'm not going to allow John, Andrew, Kevin to, you know, interpret that. So to me, genuine hospitality is the five E's. And the five E's take less than five seconds. It's eye contact, enthusiastic, greet, ear to ear, smile, educate, and engage. And now I can watch that. I can read an email. I can listen to a phone call and know if you gave the five E's or you didn't. But now there's no personal interpretation of what genuine hospitality is. It's black and white. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we just got, came out of the holidays. And when you said 100 people, I immediately thought of if I went to 100 different people's homes during the holiday period, I'm pretty sure there's probably 92 of them, at least that I would not have the experience I'm expecting or used to in my own home during the holidays, right? That's just, I think, a way to expand just how unique we are, because we tend to think that people are more similar than than different in how they approach things. Right. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Now, it sounds like we can't be expected to to give that that level of service if we have not experienced that. So you you said the five E's, and I'm like, well, that's like Chick Fil A, like going through the, even through like the drive through, like that is almost the ex experience that happens. But if you've never had that experience, like how can you even be expected to to provide? Yeah, that, that service aptitude. I think was the first blog post I ever wrote, and it was a riff off of John's ideas. It's enormous. Listen, if, if you um, take one thing from someone, it's called plagiarism. If you take 50, it's called research. So <laughs> yeah. you're just a good researcher. Well, hopefully yeah, some of right. the home builders you've worked with have, have come for, come my way because I think our industry right now is, is kind of obsessed with small kind of random wins. And what I mean by that is two or three years ago at one of the larger conferences, when you would ask a group of, of sales managers or managers of an organization to talk about how they want to improve the customer experience, they would talk about these Disney-like moments of we're going to bring a tablecloth to the home site where they just purchase and let them have a candlelight meal and envision how their lives going to change. And meanwhile, there's just a total lack of communication that is personal or the education kind of stops at the customer signing. There's the, hey, we'll call you if something happens, but otherwise just expect your home to build itself perfectly and kind of stay away from us, let us do our job. Um, talk about how ingrained this has to be if you're serious about it. Oh, I mean, it has to be. You know, one of the fir first places we start with um, our consulting clients is um, a day in the life of a customer. So we have a lot of videos out there. There's there's one on Chick-fil-A out there. If you know your listeners want to go to YouTube, type in Chick-fil-A. Every every customer or every every person ha has a story. And it's like a three-minute video, two minutes and 50 seconds, and you want to watch it. And then make sure you have Kleenex. <laughs> 
because it's going to take you on an emotional roller coaster. So we've done something like that for you know hundreds of our clients. We've helped them create a day in the life of a customer. And whether you whether whether you create a video to it or you just create a story to it, it's just a great exercise because you got to look at it from the customer's vantage point. And listen, we all get caught up in our day. And I don't care what business you're in, we get caught up into next. Right. Oh, I got this 11 o'clock podcast. I got this, you know, keynote in Chicago on, on Monday. My biggest struggle in the, when I was in the daily operations of the salon industry was my hairdresser would look at your, your, your wife as a, her 530, her 530 haircut, her 530 pedicure and her eighth appointment of the day, her third last one till she can get the heck out of here and be off for the weekend. But meanwhile, you know, your wife asked, you know, you, her, her, her in-laws, whoever to, to get her this gift certificate for her birthday or the holidays to this, this spa that she loves going to. And then she booked it three, three months mm. in advance. And she took the, you know, got out early, got a babysitter, got a friend from college to meet her and, and do the same. And it's her 60 minute trip to Paris Meanwhile, we're looking at her as our, you know, 530 haircut <laughs> and we work with a healthcare system, right? And, 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 and they call their customers, they can refer to their customers as 201B, right? Room and, and bed, yeah. you know, no, that's my mother, right? Or, or we can refer to our clients as the, the kidney stone or, <laughs> you know, the gallbladder and, and I'm not ripping on any industry. We're all guilty of it. We, we become numb to next, our next. Yep. And so when you when you kind of do a day in the life of a customer and see all the things that they're going through before they even get to you and the struggles, you know, building a house, it is, you know, I have to tell your listeners, but it is the one of the most exciting and stressful things. Like, like you talked about, you know, writing a book, I've written books and I've been fortunate to build houses and I put them both up there. As soon as it's done, it's proud, but I say, I will never do that again. Like I, yeah. I jokingly say, now I know what it's like to give birth, exactly. right? Because it's, it's one of the most painful, exhilarating things. And so to understand, you know, the, the financial commitments and being scared and getting that phone call that, you know, there's extras and, you know, all the, you know, I mean, all the things that are just going on and the stress it could wear and the contractors and, you know, all the stuff, the delays and that, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be out we, of my we house. We fixed delays. You know, by the end delays of- were fixed, John, in 2019. We don't, we don't have to worry about delays anymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> negotiating and saying, you know, with, with the person who's buying my last house that, you know, we won't be out till the end of March. And so they can take possession April 1st and then finding out that, you know, um, we can't take possession of our new home until, you know, the end of April uh-huh. or, or whatever those things are. Yeah. And the ripple effect, the domino effect and what that does and the stress and, you know, you know, all the things of, of that just happened. So the long answer is doing a day in the life of your customer and knowing how it really makes everyone in your organization have more compassion and empathy when you deal. Doesn't mean you can change some of the outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. You you, you have a delay, you have a delay. And a lot of times those delays can be caused by your customer, but it just makes you hold hands a little better. It makes you empathize with them a little better. makes you be present Make sure, you know, try to come to the rescue for them more than you normally would. In your physician reference, you were talking about that's mom. And 
it's said often, but it's always worth repeating that home is the second most emotive word in the English language after mom. And so it makes perfect sense if we stop for a moment as to why it's not just the ripple of the logistical issues. It's the emotional strain and stress connected to all of the logistical issues and financial issues that make this so incredibly painful, similar to childbirth, we imagine. Uh, as, as <laughs> we men. imagine, right, right, right. But I, so I yeah. want to tick through some of the commandments, if it's okay with you, and we can riff off little stories or examples that, that you'd like to share. Because one of the things that home builders right now seem to be obsessed with is this idea of, well, if we just journey map the customer experience and figure out how we can make things great, all will be fixed. And I kind of want to start with commandment number one, service vision, and have you quickly, quickly, yeah, it's a good place to start. And and just, it strikes me as I, it just struck me now as I'm, as I'm relooking at, at the book that I've read several times that nowhere in it does it say, okay, now first thing we need to do is document the entire process. It, it starts broader and yet also more specifically than that. So explain what service vision yeah. is and why that's number one. Yeah, that's number one. That's the North Star. So, you know, um, having a customer service vision statement is is different than having a a mission, a purpose, core values. And, and I have all those for all three of my companies and, and every company I've ever worked with has those and love them, um, not discounting them, but, you know, they're not actionable. Right. You know, our mission is, uh, you know, to change the world by creating a customer service revolution. Great. Love it. But if you call up today to, you know, schedule me or, or order books, what does that mean to the person that's, you know, taking your call? It's, it's, that that's, doesn't tell her what she's supposed to do. So a customer service vision statement is the action statement. It's what they have to do in the micro moment of every interaction that is a burden. It should be a burden that they have to consciously think before I pick up this phone, before I greet this person, before I respond to this email, we have to deliver that. And and, and we say it has to be ATOM, A-T-O-M, actionable, trainable, observable, and measurable. So changing the world by creating a customer service revolution is none <laughs> of those. That's an outcome that if we do it correctly, for the next, you know, five years, we can have that impact on a business, but we can't have, we can't change the world by creating a customer service revolution, answering a call today, or even coming out and presenting. So, so you want it micro. And, and so we've worked with Starbucks and, and we've helped them create their customer service vision statement. Two unique things about a customer service vision statement is, you know, one, it's a simple uh, thing. And the other thing is it's not, you don't put it on your website like your mission, like your core values. You only advertise it to your employees. So the brilliance behind Starbucks customer service vision statement is if you go into uh, any Starbucks, they all wear the green apron anywhere in the world. And inside the green apron facing their chest is their service vision and pillars. Um, because it's not for the, the consumer to read, it's for the employee to read every time they put it, take it on and take it off, reminding them what they have to do in order to give a great experience. So theirs is to create an inspired moment in each customer's day. And then their pillars um, is personalize and, and connect and own. And so, you know, each one of those have a meaning. So the service vision is how you do it uh, and what you have to do. And the pillars are how you do it. It's, it's amazing stuff. 
for sake of time, I'm going to go on to number two, but I think a lot of people, if you're listening and you're thinking, I don't have the authority to create that service vision in my company, I, I would I would say you're punting on something you don't have to punt. I mean, I clearly did not have the ability to do that, but I could, I could influence and work on, if I'm going to sell anything as a marketer, I'm going to sell those above me on the idea that this is important and that it's worth talking about. And you might have to do that by doing a good enough job at the core elements of marketing kind of the 101, 201 level stuff to be able to earn that right. But it's 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 definitely the year after I saw you speak, we went back at Heartland and we had a, a retreat at Nemecolon where we just talked about customer service. And I kind of outlined what I, I think we talked about this off uh, beforehand, but I said, look, guys, every every year we should be able to continue to reduce our ad spend by $100,000 and instead push that towards things that are helping kind of grease the wheels of this customer experience that we want to create that allow for different non-negotiables to be included that before maybe were unattainable because of cost reasons. Anyway, I, I just, there's a whole bunch of people who are just listening on their drive to work or drive home from work thinking, yeah, but the day I just had, Kevin, you don't understand. And you're, you're punting on something that the question I think you've posed to, to the audience at one time, John, was just, well, who else is going to pick that up then? Because if no one's picking it up, the whole company's in trouble. Someone's got to, got to begin to care enough to, to bring this stuff on a regular basis back to those in charge. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's move on to number two, creating a world-class internal culture by attracting, hiring, and retaining only people who have service DNA. So, you know, think about it. And now we got our North Star. Uh, Nema Colon's uh, service vision statement is own every moment. Love it. You know, means something to them. It's not about the 48 hours uh, that you're, after you leave. It's about each moment when you call, when you check in, when you pass, you know, someone in the hallway. It's about owning every moment. So we got our North Star. Now we got to make sure we hire the people that can deliver that North Star and train the people. So I like to call the second commandment our 30-foot high fence with barbed wire on it. We don't want to be for everyone. We want to be for the select few. And hopefully, you know, we can intimidate the majority of candidates actually from, from wanting to work here. Because, you know, you know, you sit down with young Kevin and, you know, want, want to work and, you know, answer phones. I want to, you know, sweep the floor, whatever, <laughs> whatever, uh, park cars, you know, whatever. That, all right, Kevin, I understand. And, and this is, a, you know, our service vision. This is a day in the life of a customer. This is our non-negotiable standards that you have to do and you'll be audited. And all of a sudden, Kevin's like, whoa, dude, 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 I just wanted to park some cars. Well, you know, this ain't the place. You know, we don't park cars. Um, that might be one of your responsibilities, but, you know, we're owning every moment. And that by itself weeds out. And that's why I say that the 30 foot high fence with the barbed wire on it, um, it should be extremely hard to get a job here, right? And you, and you got to protect people working and no one has quit a company. Now we have turnover, but they quit working with each other, right? They might say, if I got to work with Kevin one more day and hear him, you know, whine about, you know, this, that, whatever, I'm a job, you know. Yep. So, so we got to make sure that people that work for us like who they work with and who they work for. That makes a ton of sense, but I keep, I keep coming back to, in home building and I'm sure other industries, there are so many things that can go wrong that the brilliance of starting with commandment one, I mean, the order, like you said, is so incredibly important is it can take care of a lot of the small stuff that you could become overwhelmed with when you start down this customer service revolution path, right? If you have enough of the right people with, an, with a service aptitude, the non-negotiables are in place, I'm going ahead a little bit, but you've got some secret serving systems and training and 
and implementation and zero risk, then you can focus on say, okay, now what are the, what are the really big things that, whereas if you just create this process map that has 3000 dots on it and squares and triangles and, and whatever, it's like, well, where do we begin? Well, I, I listen, I, you know, I, I love to ask, you know, people, um, as important as hiring is, uh, I love to ask, you know, if you're going to build a world-class customer service company, be it, you know, a building company, a marketing company, a hot dog stand, whatever that is, what's more important, the hiring or the training and culture you bring them into, put them in. And before I let people vote or answer, I say, you know, obviously the correct answer is both, right? Right. It's like, if you want to be in the, the best physical shape, what's more important, your diet or exercise? Well, both. Like you can't, you can't be in the best physical shape if you, you know, don't do both. But in this case, I'm going to, you know, force you to give me one extra percent, right? You know, uh, 51%. Most people get it right. The, the most people say, you know, uh, the training and culture, and, you know, while I think hiring is so critically important, do we really think Disney found 50,000 cast members <laughs> born to serve? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's 500, you know, human beings walking the, the earth that are born to serve. Um, but what Disney says that I love is, is, is they don't put their new people in Disney. They put Disney in their new people. Oh, that's cool. And I love that. And that's what it has to be. It's all about... It's not your employee's responsibility of high service aptitude. It's your, the leadership companies, to ensure that they they have it. You have to train them to have high service aptitude. Andrew's example about Chick-fil-A, those employees didn't come with that. The valet at Ritz-Carlton or Nemer Colon didn't come with that. Your paycheck that their training will ensure that they have it before they can start working with customers, guests, tenants, whoever, whatever you call your customer. Yeah. It strikes me that it would be easier to to start from scratch. Certainly correct me if, if I'm off the rails here. If you have the good fortune to be able to be choosy about who you're hiring so that you can, you know, to, to create that culture the right way the, from the beginning is probably easier than having 2000 employees and then waking up one day and saying, holy cow, we've got a big problem with culture. We need to change it. In a perfect world, yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, that, with so many companies just do a great job of changing that culture. The majority of companies, you know, didn't start off obsessed with customer experience. And so um, you absolutely can change that. But you got to crawl, walk and run and, and eat the elephant one bite at a time. And that's why the commandments are there that helps you eat the elephant one bite at a time. It doesn't mean you need to do Julius group. There's a lot of people that take those commandments like you and did it on their own. But you can, you know, turn the tide get, you know, a portion. Now, obviously moving forward, you're hiring people based on that. And so, you know, the new generation is different and easier, um, but you slowly, and, and you'll find that most people want this, you know, the people that have been there for 10, 15 years, but again, it's no fault of their own. The company never gave them that right. training. Who, who, before we continue on to, to commandment number three, who have you been most impressed with who has made that kind of a change or not, not necessarily from a financial standpoint, big company, small company, doesn't matter, but the industry or the type of organization that you've been most impressed with who has made kind of this radical adjustment in how they approach the customer. You know, we have case studies and, you know, it used to be, you know, I used to say only good companies hired us, right? But we've had some companies that weren't best in class 
and it's remarkable what they've done. So, you know, we had an advanced financial out of Tennessee. They're a payday loan company, oh, wow. right? And and so when I when I talked to them, you know, back in 2012 about working with them, you know, we tr- we try to screen them just like we try to screen employees. Um, we try to screen potential clients because if we're not right fit, I'm not willing to take the hit and work with you. Um, if I don't think you're going to be successful because that that's going to make us look bad. It's going to be a waste of time. You're not going to think it's a good investment. And I really don't want my name associated with, <laughs> right. you know, a company that doesn't do it. So when we were talking to uh, the owners they and I've written about them in, in my last two books, they, uh, they were, they were like crushing it. This is in 2012. They were extremely profitable. They were growing rapidly, yet their customer service stunk. The other thing was about it is their industry stinks. Like no one's good. It's not like it's you're opening a, a, a trying to open up a, a fine dining restaurant <laughs> or a hotel where you can't compete because you'll get crushed by the other five-star restaurants or hotels. So like they weren't struggling financially, they were growing and no one else in their industry. So I'm like, why do you need to do this? Like, I don't understand. And they were like, you know, we have to, we, we, ha- we have to, it's the only way we're going to survive. There's going to be an Uber that comes into our industry. Quite frankly, you know, our, our employees and our clientele deserve to be treated like this. And I was like, so inspired by their their passion and what they've done in in seven eight years is crazy. I mean, they've tripled in size. They they are our model for customer experience and the training. And they've done every commandment and they've done it so well. So so companies like that, um, we you know Domino's hired us and. When Domino's hired us, you know, if you oh, remember yeah. years ago, they made that big push about, you know, if, if the pizza wasn't there in 30 minutes um, or less, you'd get it yeah. free. So before they hired us, their focus was speed of time, mm-hmm. right? And so they, they, their speed of time wasn't good. So, so they, they got fanatical with that. And they woke up one day to find out that they were number one in speed of time, but they were last and friendly. <laughs> And so that's when they brought us in. And so, you know, working with us through the commandments, doing all this, you know, after 18 months, their friendly hospitality scores became number one without hurting their speed of time. And so, you know, again, that's another example of someone who wasn't best in class, but made the commitment and it was a large organization to increase it. So yeah, there, there's some great examples out there of companies who who were were not you know, nearly best of class and committed to it and did it all, you know, through the resources at it. And the resources isn't money, it, it, it's executive sponsorship and someone that owns it, someone that's losing sleep at night besides the CEO. Absolutely. I think we probably only have time for two more. So I'm actually going to okay. pivot to you and, and ask, is there any other two that are particularly close to your heart or do you, because they build off each other, do you want to just keep going? No, I'll do two more. The third commandment is something that you reference. That's the, uh, you know, non-negotiable standards. And, and those are like the nevers and always, and you never say no, right? It doesn't mean you always say yes. It means you, you always focus on what you can do. You never say no, no problem. You always say, certainly my pleasure. Absolutely. You never overshare. You, you just take care of it, you know? So, so it's a lot of things like that, that, you know, you only want to create eight to 10, 
but but you want to create a short list of non-negotiable standards that anyone representing your brand would never do or always do. And that doesn't matter if we're talking to a customer, talking to a coworker, or the UPS man that walks in the front door. It's it, you know the stranger on the elevator. You know, simple nevers and always. And then the other one I'll jump to is Commandment Seven. It's one of my favorite. It's the zero risk yeah. commandment. And, and are you zero risk to do business with? So if you think about companies like Nordstrom's, you know Nordstrom's is zero risk because you don't have to bring it back within 30 days. You don't have to have your receipt. You know, Nordstrom is just zero risk to to do business with. So zero risk means two things and they're equally important. One is, uh, you know, a zero risk company drops the ball less than their competitors, okay? But it doesn't mean they, they always you know knock it out. They, they still drop the ball. Now, maybe while the rest of the industry is dropping at 7% of the time or more, uh, a world-class customer service company is dropping the ball only 3% of the time, which is huge. Yeah. But don't forget that they're still dropping the ball 3% at a time. So the second part of that is they have service recovery systems in place to handle it by the frontline customer facing employee that when they do drop the ball. So I always say, do you think the Ritz Carlton ever blows reservations? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now the difference is when you check in and they don't have your reservation, they just don't look at you like a deer in headlights and say, sorry, pal. They say, I apologize, Mr. Oakley. Um, We had a miscommunication. Unfortunately, you know, we don't have it, but we booked you a room across the street at the the Marriott or at the Hampton and took care of that. So making sure that, you know, you have process in place and it doesn't mean everything's free. It doesn't mean you're given a a house for free or, you know, giving away $10,000, but you're just showing that the shouldn't happen and, and you're making a gesture to to make it right and make it better. Yeah, maybe another way of saying it is a predictable problem deserves a predictable response. Exactly. And how tightly, yep. and I'm sure this is maybe a gray area, how tightly in that predictable response do most companies get? Do they say you've got this range kind of like the, the never and always that you need to stay between or is it very specific? Yeah, I mean, we we you know teach and we give our employees free reign. Just do what you think is right. You know, you'll never get in trouble for something you do. You only get in trouble for something you don't do. You know, meaning that you know Kevin called me up and ordered you know a dozen books and got the wrong ones or only got ten and he had a meeting with twelve people and when he called back, uh, Lindsay said, "Oh, sorry, you know, I'll send two out." Well, that's not, that doesn't make it right. That's that, you know, he had his meeting, you know, yesterday, you know, getting two books in two to three days is too late. You had to do something to make it right. And I don't care if you, you know, send it same day or you call the nearest bookstore, you know, within a mile of his, his, his office and see if they have it and you get it couriered over there. You got to do something to, to make it right. So, you know, I always say, you know, you'll never get in trouble for something you do. You only get in trouble for something you don't do. Don't bring it to me. Handle it. I love it. Mm-hmm. You got something, Andrew? I was going to say number, number seven, I feel like is to me in, in my mind, just the way I, I work is that seems easier to fix and, and grasp, which is probably why it's after the more difficult ones beneath it. It's like, here's what always happens when we're building. Here's the issues. If a customer catches a problem before us, it is 10x the emotion and, and response. If we could just catch issues before our customer does, then then that can reduce that defect. It's not an issue. They didn't find it. We fixed it. Yeah. It's like the building process. Well, for home builders, when I, when I think of seven, zero risk, and, and for those listening, the easiest one for me that I am drawn to is delayed closings. Like that's something where, like, like the hotel, yeah, 
you're supposed to move in on Friday and you get the call three days before Friday. Hey, I know you've organized all your moving services. You've got everything switched over utilities. <laughs> your whole life. By the way, we, we, we might need another two weeks, maybe a yeah, week. We, we're not really sure. We'll let you know. Goodbye. The stress, even internally. So certainly you just created this huge bomb that went off in that person's life and said, goodbye. You know, good, good luck. luck with that. We'll right. You know. Good luck with that. that yeah. That's problem number one. Problem number two is internally. If you've got good employees, what kind of stress does that put on everyone in like the salesperson who has up until this point done a great job now has this internal stress of they're not really sure what our response is. Are we going to cover their hotel stay? Are we going to take care of their moving? Like there's just kind of this, well, you know, you bring up a great point. Both of you do. Because, you know, we're talking about how this affects a customer and the customers could very well turn into a brand terrorist, right? And tell everyone about this horrible experience. But the the thing that's that, that so many companies miss is it sucks for the employee. Yeah. You know, now I got to call you and tell you the bad news and you go crazy on me and I have to hide behind policy, right? Yep. Because I'm mandated by policy from above. Sorry, pal. You know, we don't do that. We don't pay for that. We don't, can't allow that. And, you know, I go home and I hate my job yep. and you know, I don't feel good about it. Now, again, you know, you go back to the Ritz Carlton, who's able to, you know, take care of something and not ask for permission. I feel good. Right. I, I mean, I made someone's day what was going to be a disaster. I was able to X yeah. and whatever X is versus get the crap beaten out of me by a customer and just say, uh, sorry, that's our policy. And while you take, you might take this financial hit from doing the right thing, even from the, the division president or the owner's perspective of the home, do they want to talk to the, do they want to get involved of how much are we going to do? There's all, Hey, whenever this happens, it's always a gray area. So you've got to get me involved. No, like no, no one wants this. And yet in home building, we kind of generally home builders have, well, we'll give you two grand. It's in the contract. If we miss the date, we give you two grand or we give it instead of just saying, look, we're going to, we're going to make this as easy as possible on you. It's an unfortunate situation that we're in and running. That's just to me, the easiest example. I'm sure those of you. I have a uh, policy that if it gets to me, it's free. I love it. It even rhymes. So, I like it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't mean my cell number's posted everywhere. You know, even in the salons, there's a, you know, picture of me and it says, you know, I want to know about your experience. If we knocked it out of the park, please let me know so I can share and celebrate and recognize. And if we missed our mark, I want to know, here's my personal email. Here's my personal cell number. So it's not that, you know, don't give him John's number. Uh, you know, that's very easy. That's on my email. It's on everywhere. But if typically no one, none of us want to call the GM, the owner, the president up and go through that red tape of calling headquarters and asking for him. <laughs> and, and, and if you are calling, you know, the president up, that means you've you've really frustrated, right? That means you've probably gone through four or five people, had to re-explain your story, have gotten escalated. And every time you re-explain your story, you're getting madder and madder. And 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 you know, you might be embellishing. Well, I got the president on the phone, so I gotta really make it sound good. I don't want you to ever tell your story twice. So that means, you know, and and whatever I give you means it's coming out of the frontline uh, you know, leaders paycheck bonus. Don't let it get to me. Handle it. Yep. And I remember there are many acronyms that you use that are very helpful. Uh, I always like to get as many tangible things to the audience as possible. 
I remember Ford and Andrew reminded me that he, he mm-hmm. really enjoyed, you know, when you're talking to someone, family, occupation, recreation, dreams, talk right. about a hen. Cause that one was to me, another aha moment back from 2009. What is a hen? A H E N anger, hurt, uh, expectation, need, and kind of your, you're getting hit with anger at the front end, but it's it's really being driven by this hurt caused by an expectation driven by a need. And you've got to kind of dig back beyond that. And maybe maybe that was something that Nemecolin took from you. Yeah, that, that, I think that was Nemecolin. I've never heard that. I like it. I just wrote it, it down. It's not an actual um, word or a brand like Ford, but I, I love this idea. No, 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 no. Anger, it's not, but you can't deal directly with that anger. You know, just just to that point, one of our staying on zero risk is what I teach my employees, myself, and and my clients is that when you can't say yes to someone, you got to deliver bad news. The way you do it, you know, with genuine compassion and empathy, if you do it well, the customer should almost be apologizing to you for how bad you feel, right? And so I had an example of this, you know, one of my employees told someone, you know, someone called up and asked for something last minute and we couldn't do it. And it wasn't our fault. It was a request literally, you know, for, for last yeah. minute. And, and, but the way, you know, she explained it and said, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm going to try, let me, you know, I've tried this, 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 let me continue. And the, the customer's like, no, God, no, you know, that was my fault. I, I, I should have called, you know, obviously two weeks ago, it just slipped my mind. And the employee was like, no, no, I'm going to keep on working, you know, almost like I'm going to lose sleep at night mm-hmm. tonight because I wasn't able to say yes to your, your last minute request. And, you know, the customer just felt horrible because of how bad the employee felt. And that's, that's when, you know, you're in a good place. That's when you're, you know, you're delivering bad news with total compassion and empathy um, versus just saying, ah, sorry, uh, you know, like, like, like the example we yeah. gave earlier about, sorry, you know, that we have to push your uh, moving back seven right. days. Right. John is, as you can tell, a fantastic coach, trainer, speaker uh, around, around all this. Be sure you check out the DeJulius group. Dot com. There's tons of free content there. He referenced uh, videos, uh, the Chick-fil-A video, but there's other videos, content there. There's blogs. You can order the books. Um, I would highly encourage anyone listening to, to consider interacting with his organization. There are some things that you want to stick inside the industry for, and there's some things that I think can be helpful looking outside the industry, as we referenced earlier. And I think customer experience is, is one of those because we have so far to go uh, as home builders. John, thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on. 